series called Pride and Prejudices. And I had great plans to like incorporate some pictures of um, Pride and Prejudice. Darcy, Colin Firth, Darcy, obviously. There's only one best way. Matthew, whatever his name was. No Colin Firth. Anyway, but I haven't managed that. But I've been super challenged by the series. And my, the title for my message today is Do It Your Way. You can read that how you like. Hopefully that might shift. So when I was a little girl, I was very stubborn. Um, <laughs> harsh. It's changed. It has changed. It's changed a little. A little. I was, I was a very stubborn kid. Um, and it was interesting for me to learn that there's actually a partially genetic component to stubbornness. And um, so there's a sense of like, I call it parental karma. When you have a stubborn child, and you're like, yeah, it's from me. So um, I've got a couple of those. <laughs> but I've become, I've, it's been tempered, you know, a little. But it's still quite like having things done my way. And we've been in a transition as a family where I've started working full time for the last two months. And Dave has uh, dropped down his work hours and he does more of the things with kids. And that's great. He does things differently. And is different good? Mate, I was struggling to think of like, what does he do? <laughs> I honestly, the age is being like, what does he do that's different, that's better? And I just couldn't come up with something. <laughs> I know, it's just maybe I'm not seeing it yet. What was hilarious though is when he first started doing the grocery shopping, he came home with all these different things, different kinds of bread. My kids were like, Dad, soy and linseed. It's the only one they're going to eat. And he's like, no, sourdough, multigrain. Oh, variety. And now I think he's going back to just buying the bread that they'll eat. But it's been, I just, I, and my way is not necessarily the best way. Whoa. <laughs> Voice recorder off, please. Voice recorder off. And no, so while we're all having a go at me here, you, oh, how about you? Is there someone, I don't just think about the person sitting next to you. I GP's like, dad, it's you. What about you? Are you a little bit like that? You like things done your way? Maybe it's in the big things. Maybe it's in the little things. <sighs> wow. As a Christian, God's ways got to be above our ways. Probably might be familiar with Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. I can have that, thanks. Says, God says to the people, says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. My ways are different, declares the Lord. And then he goes on, actually, my ways are better. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's not just God's ways, God's ways are different to your ways. God's ways are better than your ways. And not just like a little bit better. There's so much better. It's like the sky being higher than the earth, which is like there's actually no limit to the sky. So God's ways are so, so much better than your way. And um, there's a level of humility that we grow into as we acknowledge, actually, God, your ways are better than my ways. And what I'm talking about here is a little bit, it's like an, a step beyond saying, do what you want to do, God. It's saying, do it how you want to do it. It's a little bit more of a stretch. 
Um, it was probably about, about 10 years ago, Dave and I started looking to move from Dunedin to Timaru. And we had really heard from God that we were supposed to move to Timaru and replant a church. And we just trusted that God was going to organize all the things. And we were looking at houses. And we knew he was going to give us a place to live. And one of the first places, well, we looked at some places. And I fell in love with one home. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. I love this place. I could see us being happy here. And it didn't work out. The timing was completely wrong. And I was so angry at God. I think I may have literally shook my fist at the heavens when it didn't work out. Uh, Turns out God knew better than me. And we ended up with a different house just further up the road from this one place. Another house every day on the way to school and preschool, drop the kids off and say, God, thank you that you didn't give me that house. Thank you. Because I had, I had surrendered to his goal, mm-hmm. uh, learning from that one. Because the truth is that getting your own way isn't actually what's best for you. Sorry. Uh, and so that's, that's really, that's kind of like base level humility. Next level humility, which I'm talking about today, is I can let other people do things their way. And I'm going to be honest, that is actually a whole lot harder than submitting to God. It's a whole lot harder. I want to read to you from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. I can have that up, please. Leaving me hanging. Here we go. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. I think in this he sounds, I feel like I've taken this tone as a parent, like, have you got any goodness in your heart, children? Can you not, like some patience, please then, could you? He kind of gets that vibe going on. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And it goes on. It goes on. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that guy who went to the cross for you. Oh, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He wasn't consumed with a status. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to cross he, to God. He died a criminal's death on the cross, and therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's the example that we are called to follow. Verses three and four, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And this same idea comes up again and again. And all, the church, all those letters are written to different situations. But practice humility. Pride needs to be defeated. It needs to be dethroned. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 
Ephesians 5, goes on and on. He talks about submitting to one another. And I recognize that submission is a bit of a dirty word in the church. And this, uh, some of these scriptures have really been misused by people in power to say to another person, you should submit to me. But none of these scriptures does Paul ever talk to a person saying, get other people to submit to you. Other people should submit to you. Hey, you're a leader. People should be submitting to you. Every time he writes, he says to a person, you should submit to other people. It's not ever your place. Oh, well, ever your place? That might be too broad. Um, If you're finding yourself telling people to submit to you, then maybe you should stop talking and start talking to yourself about how you need to do submitting. Yeah? Mm, It's a bit challenging. Um, Paul talks about mutual submission. It's never just the person in power, other people submit to me. Even that really tricky scripture that was quite difficult in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about wives submitting to their husbands and all of that. The first foundational scripture, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you honor God, submit to one another. And that is the foundation. And then he's going to go on and talk about submitting to each other. And wives get that, well, just submit. I said that already, but just saying it again. Guys get that whole, like, love your wife like Jesus loved the church, gave himself up for, like, death on the cross. And we're like, oof, it's a good day to be a woman. Uh, Just saying, I'll take that one. I'd prefer that one to the other. Not that either is easy. Not that either is easy. But this is, it's really difficult in the culture that we live in today. And I just want to share a few observations that I've got about uh, particularly modern Western culture. We love our freedom that um, the free life looks like being able to do what you want, how you want to do it. You know, that, that message comes around. That's the good life, to be free, to do things your own way. Yep, you got these songs, movies, TV, advertising, always repeating that message. We also get the message that um, if I submit to a person, that gives them a higher status than me. And if someone submits to me, that gives me a higher status above them. That doesn't mesh with Philippians 2, like talking about Jesus had gave up the status and served. Um, it also talks about, our culture thinks about maturity, your authority. So emerging into adulthood is about like asserting your autonomy. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really get to make many choices. But as you grow into an adult, you get to make more choices about yourself and what you do. And as you really grow and mature in life, then you get to start telling other people what to do. That's kind of like the frame of how we think about things, isn't it? As you go up in the world, you get to tell more people what to do. Like, that's position. You start out asserting your autonomy, and then you grow into your your authority, and that's, that's how it works. This is not at all what the kingdom way of thinking is. You know that song we sing, State of Mind? It's, all, it's based on Romans 12 too, where Paul says, um, you need to be transformed. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, the way the world thinks, the way the world behaves. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. A kingdom state of mind has nothing to do with all these ideas about freedom and status and maturity and autonomy. It's all about humility and mutual submission. It's really countercultural, And in that passage where Rome, Paul says that to the Romans, you need to be changed, you need to be transformed by letting the Spirit change the way you think. He then goes on and starts talking about humility. He says things like, 
Don't think you're better than you really are. Um, God has made you to belong together, to serve each other, genuinely love each other, honour others. This is real hard. And I'm kind of left thinking, might it not then just be easier to stay away from other people? Maybe? Just like, if I could just stay in a bubble, keep everyone at arm's length, like, might just be easier. And that is what our culture says to us about what, what faith should be. It says that you can have faith, that's great, but just keep it individual, keep it private. You know, like, it's fine if you want to go to church sometimes, but don't commit too much. Certainly don't let people tell you what to do. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Don't buy in too much. Don't submit in any way. We are taught that we can Marie Kondo everything in our lives. Who knows who Marie Kondo is? All of you are like, what, what? If you need to, like, uh, tidy your house, can I suggest watching Marie Kondo or whatever it is on Netflix? It's really good. I'm like, I vibe totally. I have a saying in my home, if in doubt, chuck it out. You can use that one with your children. If in doubt, chuck it out. Because... They've got so much stuff. It's crazy. But so Marie Kondo teaches you with your um, home that you you get all your things out. So say you're going through your wardrobe. I get all my clothes out, and then I pick it up, and I look at it, and I think, does it spark joy for me? And if it doesn't, I think it's for its service, and then give it away. Yeah? It's actually really good with stuff. It's a great approach to stuff. But unfortunately, our culture teaches us that we can do the same approach with everything. Take the Bible, look at it, take some things. Does this spark joy for me, this teaching? No, chuck it out. Does this, I don't like that one. Just cut out the bits you don't like. Do that with relationships. Is this relationship sparking joy for me? Nah, cut it out. Ideas of faith. Like, yes, Christians have been believing this for thousands of years, but does it spark joy for you? If it's that we have to everything in this kind of postmodern culture that we live in. And there is some truth in that because you do need to sift. There are some things in church culture that you need to get rid of. But the question of whether it sparks joy is not the, like, that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is scripture. Yeah? But we just want to, we want to Marie Kondo everything. So in a church community, we go, oh, I like some things about church. I like the vibe. I like the way it feels when I'm there. But you want me to, like, serve? Oh, no, that doesn't spark joy. Oh, you want me to, like, I don't like all the things of the style of the way you do this church. So I'll just take that out. And it makes us think, well, it makes us operate like little individuals rather than actual community. Um, Dave shared with me this great quote from Ronald Rollheiser. He says that what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered. We thought we could soar unencumbered, and the church community brings us back to ground. He thought we thought we could soar like the birds, believing that we are mature, should be seeing. But real church going soon enough shatters this illusion, gives us no escape, as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and our lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. You can think you're really great until you get around other people. 
and then other people let you know you're not. And church, like any close relationship, like marriage, being in a family, church especially, it gives you a great opportunity to grow in humility. It gives you great opportunities. And, but our culture says, nah, it's difficult. Does it spark joy? Check it out. Because the reason a culture does that is because it values autonomy so much. So autonomy just means I can be the rule for myself. And um, I've talked about this before, but it's a, such a helpful way, I think, to think of it. There are three fundamental needs that we have as, as people. There's autonomy, so freedom to make, make decisions for yourself. Think of that as one big bucket. There's another bucket, which is belonging, that I have people, like community. There's another bucket, bucket which is purpose, like meaning in my life. And you need all of those things. And people in different situations need different things. If you're living in North Korea right now, your autonomy bucket is super low. And you need more autonomy. You need freedom to make choices for yourself. But in Timaru right now, our autonomy bucket is pretty full. It's overflowing. We are overwhelmed with choices to make. Because our culture, Western culture, has taught us that autonomy is the greatest good. Being able to make decisions, do things your way is the best. But the thing is, to fill this bucket up, we've had to make sacrifices in all these other buckets. It's hard to find purpose when I want to do everything my own way. It's really hard to find belonging if I don't make any sacrifices on my autonomy. It's, it's really hard. And so sometimes we need to make sacrifices in our autonomy, which our culture will say, don't you let them tell you what to do? But actually I will. I'll let them tell me what to do because I value belonging and meaning more than I value autonomy. And this is countercultural. This is a not being conformed to the patterns of this world. I think even not being uh, shaped by the powers of this age, the cultural ideologies that, that value just do it your own way above everything else. Because true community, real belonging, requires humility. If I want to find a place that I truly belong, well, then I belong to the people there. If I want to belong in this group of believers, then I belong to you. And when something belongs to me, I kind of have some rights to say over it. I find that deeply challenging. <laughs> but I know it's good. Because true community requires humility and real humility hum and blessing amongst us. And it's, it's, more than, um, it's more than just, okay, yeah, you have your way, that's fine. Yeah, I'll let you go through the door first or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a, um, it's a process of going into maturity. And something that I've been learning about recently is about the process of construction and deconstruction and reconstruction that we go through in our lives and, and how that is a healthy process as we, as we grow. So if you think about it like a, like a house, construction, that as I grow as a young person, I'm, I receive a lot of things, especially from my parents uh, and from just the world I'm going. And I go, oh, this is pretty good. And then you get to a certain age, oh, not sure if I really agree with these things, I might just change things up a little, ask some questions about how things are. And then you go to a stage, hopefully, where you reconstruct, you put things together in a new way, a better way. Unfortunately, a lot of people will stop here and they've deconstructed their faith and they've thought, oh, that means there's nothing left. And they haven't moved on to reconstruction. And that's the, the process that we go on. But as that process of maturity, um, 
It grows in us humility. So the first state, being critical of things. And by critical, I'm not being like having a critical spirit or being a cynic or anything. I'm just meaning you're not really like asking questions about things. When you're in a pre-critical state, for example, thinking about in a church, when you're in a pre-critical state, you're like, oh, my pastor's great. Everything he does is gold. I love it when he plays the guitar. I love it when he preaches. I love it when he talks about bikes. I love it when he wears. I love his beard. Oh, he's just a wonderful man. And that's great. And then you, you hang out with a person. This could be any person. This could be your part. Like you go through this in romantic relationships. Oh, infatuation stage. Uh, and then you get into the critical stage. And that's when you start, you know, especially as you grow up a little bit, you ask questions, you see things a bit more. Maybe most of your past, so let's think of a person you've been in a romantic relationship with. You're like, oh, they're wonderful. I love everything they do. Huh? Even those annoying things, they're just so cute. And then you're like, those annoying things are plain annoying. <laughs> yeah? And at that stage, you can choose to go, this doesn't spark joy for me. Gone. Or you can sit with that, learn some humility, and if you think, yeah, this is actually all right, you can move into the next stage, which is the post-critical stage, where you go, yeah, I still see the things that aren't great, but this is the thing I have chosen. So think about a relationship, my relationship with Dave. He walks into the back conference room of Dunedin Apostolic Church, and I fall in love. <laughs> True story. He's wonderful. Everything he does is great. All his ways. And then you, then you, I don't know, probably like our first year of marriage, like, oh, okay. Like, pleasantly surprised about so many things, but also like, I thought you were going to meet all my emotional needs. I thought that you would like instantly know and understand me. <laughs> so unrealistic. But even things like, oh, so you want me to wash your hankies? He does not use hankies anymore. <laughs> that was quickly. When he realized he was going to have to wash them, they were out the door. Disgusting. Disgusting. Pretty critical stage. It's good. It's good. You should go into that stage. But then you need to move to the... We've eliminated the hankies, but he still does annoying things. But he is the thing that I have chosen. He is the person I have chosen. And so it doesn't bother me. And I can submit to some of those things. Just let some of those things go. And we need to go through the same things with churches as well. Oh, my church is wonderful. Everything's wonderful. I love it all. Then you're like, oh, well, I'm sorry, I like that song. And sometimes when they surf, oh, gosh, you know, that's the point where it doesn't spark joy, it's out. But moving to a post-critical stage, that's maturity, and that requires humility. But our culture will tell you, be critical, and if it doesn't spark joy, chuck it out. It doesn't encourage humility and maturity to move on to the next stage. There's a, uh, the fancy phrase down here is a second naivety. Becoming a child again. Sounds a lot like Jesus. You can only enter the kingdom of God if you come like a child. You're not, you're, it's, it's a naivety, a childishness, a childlike heart. It doesn't come out of immaturity or gullibility. You can fool me, I don't, whatever. I'm just impressed by anything. It's a childlike heart that comes out of humility. And that's actual maturity. Because I've discovered that as I develop humility towards other people, it really helps me develop humility towards God. As I practice it in my relationships at this kind of level, 
It helps me practice it in my relationship with God. And learning not to get my own way at this level helps me let God have his way at this level. And just then everything goes better. Like, quick summary, everything goes better. (laughs) Everything. Because if you're not submitting to other people in some ways, chances are you're probably not very good at submitting to God either. Mm. If If you're just really not ever submitting to anyone, you're probably not submitting to God. I have not come across anyone who is in that category. But how? How do we do this? Because the reality is I can be a bit of a jerk sometimes. I'm so thank you so good for staying quiet there. <laughs> I love how no one's like, mmm. Dave's like, mmm, biting my tongue. Um, I want to read to you 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. Can I have that up? Once again, this is Peter writing, not Paul. But again, humility is needed. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All the parents said, amen. All of you, though, not talking about power differentials between the young and old, social status. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Who wants to be opposed by God? That was terrible. Okay, so humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. In due time. Humble yourself. This is something that someone is doing to you. It's not let God humble you, but you humble yourself. It's an active verb. Or that it says, clothe yourself with humility. And the word that it uses has a sense of uh, like taking a garment and fastening it on your body. You wrap it on. I'm putting it on, my humility. It's like when you put an apron on. I was going to bring my apron, but my apron's really filthy. So, uh, when I don't wake up in the morning with my apron on. I do not wear it to bed. <laughs> what a relief. I do not just think, oh, apronly feelings just emerge from my spirit that I may serve my family. And let's be honest, I'm not just, when I put my apron on, I'm not just serving my family, I'm also serving my own belly. But I don't just wait for apronly feelings to emerge from within me. I put the apron on. I tie it around my body. Sometimes the knot of the cloth, uh, the garment of humility, you've got to tie that tight. So you can't just slip it off. But you need to clothe. What does it look like? What What does it look like to put that on? I love the idea of there being small acts of rebellion. Small things that you can do that come in a different spirit, the different spirit um, that when pride comes up, you go, "Mm, actually, because I want to defeat pride, I'm going to do this thing. It comes in the opposite spirit. It's a rebellion to it. So when you think, oh, I would like to do it my way, because you're on making a conscious effort to defeat pride in your life, to grow in humility, you choose to let the other person have their way. When... The, um, when you recognize a reaction, we talked about this e-group a couple of weeks ago, sometimes when someone rejects you a little bit, the temptation is to re- be like, well, I didn't even like you anyway. Yeah? We've all done that, eh? <laughs> when that happens and you want to do a thing, just go, mm-mm, not going to do that. Or if it just comes out before you to just apologize straight away, because sometimes it just comes out. 
Just go, oh, come on, prideful spirit, die already. Do the little things. And you will know what they are. But just a, a word of caution, like I said before, it is not for you to suggest to another person what are the small acts of rebellion that they could do against their prideful spirit by submitting to you. <laughs> that is not your place. That is not your takeaway from the sermon. Your takeaway is what are the things that I can do? Invite the Holy Spirit to give you a nudge. Invite the Holy Spirit. Take out the bum if that's what you need. Because who wants to be in the position of being opposed by God? I want his grace. I want his favor. And I know I need to grow in humility because of that. I heard a, had a conversation with um, a woman recently when I was at a Quipper conference. It was just like a throwaway conversation I had uh, over morning tea. And she was talking about her experiences when she was at Bible college and how it was was difficult because you were in these people's lives all the time. And some of them were really annoying. And she said, oh, it was good sandpaper. I thought, mm, I like that. She looked back with the maturity of many years and said, that situation, that was good sandpaper. Proverbs 27, um, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. People rub up against you. There's friction. But it smooths off your rough edges. But sometimes someone's rubbing up against us and we're like, oh, I don't like that. It doesn't spark joy for me. Give it the flick. Who are you to tell me what to do? We let that friction turn into conflict when actually it's good sandpaper. But again, it's as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I am sharpening that person. They are sharpening me. It's not I'm going to rub you down. I'm going to wear you down. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying in... Um, it's quite understandable, I should have said earlier, that if some of these things around submission and humility are hurtful because you've been hurt in the past, because there's been some wrong teaching around this kind of stuff, and if you're going, oh, I really don't like this, it's quite possible because you've got a bruise in that area, a bruise on your spirit, and when any time someone kind of just touches it, oh, ow. If that's happening for you in the service, then can I suggest you pray about it? After the service, I'd love to pray with you. We can... We can do that together. Maybe you need to share about that experience with someone. Tell that story to a person. Help them pray with, ask them to pray with you to help forgive that situation because that's a very real thing that happens to us. But one of the things I really wanted to, to, to draw this home to, and this is where I want to land if um, Nahoya, you come back in keys, would be great. Deep, the deep question, I think, for me around that is, is it safe? Is it safe to do that? Like, obviously, you need to look out for red flags in a community, in a relationship. You never submit to abuse. That's not what we're talking about here. But, like, deeper than that, is it, is it safe for me psychologically to put other my thinking in my heart to say, God, I'll let you have my way? Because it is a deep act, an act of faith, isn't it? So I'm just going to ask you if you all stand with me. We're just going to take some moment because um, it's really easy to hear a message like this and kind of go, yeah, I should do that. But because the deeper, oh, issues haven't been dealt with or haven't been kind of addressed, it's, um, you never really grow in it. And I think deep down, like I said, there's a question, if I don't put myself first, who will? Can I trust God to look after me? Can I trust that 
if I submit to his ways, that he actually has my best interests at heart? He does. He really does. People might not always. And so you need to use wisdom. You need to use discernment. And you always need to work this out in a community of people. And if it's not going both ways, then it's not true Christian submission. If it's ever a person, in a, especially in a power difference, saying, you submit to me, then that is a red flag. And if you feel like you're in a relationship like that right now, then I would really love to have a conversation with you about that. Because um, it is something to be dealt with wisdom, but also in community. There's wisdom in the counsel of many, it says in Proverbs. So make sure you're attending to that. But just invite you to, to pray with me now. And if, you, um, if you're comfortable, maybe closing your eyes is a good way to focus. Maybe open your hands as a, a posture of surrender. Father God, we hear um, your call to humility. Lord, you re- repeat it so many times. Um, in the scripture as you're talking to, to, to us about how to be people together, Lord, that we can't ignore it. But it's really times, Lord, and we live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with the message that we should be able to do things our way. We're hearing that message again and again. But Lord, we ask that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Lord, change us into a new person by changing the way that we think. And Father, I ask that right now for those of us who sit, um, who find this topic really difficult because we've been hurt in the past, Lord, that you would meet us in this place, that you would help us to filter out where we have been uh, in abusive expressions and how that's not okay. And Lord, we have hurt around that. But where you are calling us to be part of healthy relationships where we each submit to one another. Father God, we ask for healing for our hearts. Come and mend every heart where that's needed. And Lord, for those of us perhaps who have, life has taught us that it is not safe to give up our ways, to say to another person, you do it your way. Where life has taught us that we have to take care of ourselves because no one else is going to take care of us. God, for those of us in that situation, Father, we ask for your grace. Lord, some of these wounds are so deep in our, in our psyche that it, it's, it's hard. We can't change them by ourselves, so we, we ask for your spirit. Lord, come and heal the wounds that have turned us into independent people in a way that's so unhealthy for us. Lord, we need your help in this. Father, we ask for your grace for the fruit of your spirit in our lives, not us working it up, God, but you expressing it us, Lord, that we would be humble people. Lord, not just as individuals, but as a community, that Equipers Church Timaru would be a community of people who submit to one another. And God, that that would flow out into the world. That God, as we live lives that are humble, God, it would help people who don't even know you to realise that maybe they could admit their need as well. That as they see us being humble, or see us being mature, 
Lord, that the world would see that maybe they could submit themselves to you, God. We need your help, Lord. I also want to give you a chance to see, God, you have your way with your life. I've never actually said you, you do what you want, God. You ne- you've never um, prayed in a way that says, God, I, I choose to follow you. And I love that um, some of the lyrics from that last song we, says, we sang that says, everything I thought I needed, it doesn't compare to you, Jesus. You're the one who bought my freedom. I choose to give it to you. I've got freedom and I choose to give it to you. And if you're here today and you, and you want to make a decision to follow God, to give Him your life, then this is your opportunity. Maybe you want to do that for the first time or for the first time in a long time. You want to recommit your life to Him. So if you feel like you fit into either of those two categories, could you give me a wave so I know to pray with you? Who you would like to do that today? I see that hand. Awesome. I'm going to pray with you after service, okay? Don't let me miss you. Don't run away. You all can open your eyes. I just want to say that I really value the the church community in this space, the way that you serve us, each other, is a really precious thing. It's not a, a normal thing in the world that we live in. I really value the love that is extended and the hospitality and I just want to say thank you for that. And to say to you, if you think, oh, I'm here, but I don't really feel like I'm in the community, then there is a space for you to be in that kind of family. There's a space for you here. There's a space for you to belong. It isn't always easy. Sometimes it is good sandpaper, but it's always good. Awesome. Bless you, church. I'll hand back over to you.